we have been making our way through the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, last week, we left off in chapter 4, verse 22. We watched uh, in chapter 3 as Peter and John went up to the temple for the hour of prayer. There's a man that's been there by the beautiful gate. He's been there for a very long time, no doubt. We know that he's been crippled since birth. Peter and John uh, heal him in Jesus' name, not in their own name, which is what we talked about last week, is by the power of the living Christ that, that he was healed. And the point for them was, is that Jesus is still alive and working. It's the book of Acts, not of the apostles necessarily, but the acts of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. So a, a dead Savior can't do anything. So Jesus is the one that's active in the story here. Uh, that brings an opportunity for Peter to preach, and the church has grown from 120 believers to now over 5,000. And that has also brought an opportunity then uh, for not just fruitfulness that way, but persecution. So we see in chapter 4 the beginning of opposition to the message of the church about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So Peter and John are arrested for what they're preaching. Uh, they're detained overnight. Then they're questioned and they're threatened. And uh, then they uh, are, are set free. They're spanked on the hand and told, don't you preach in his name anymore. Do you think they're going to listen? We wouldn't be here if they did. So uh, we, le we left off there. Uh, verse 22 talks about that, how they were let go. And verse 23 is where we'll pick up chapter 4. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So, so before we go on any further than that, I hate to stop it so, so quickly with the first sentence, but, um, I, but I like something I see there. Being let go, the Bible says they went to their own. Uh, the word companions is in italics in my Bible. I don't know what version you're reading, but when you see a word in italics in the Bible, it means that the, uh, the translators have added that to clarify. So what the original language would say is they went to their own. And I like that because they're going through, they're experiencing opposition. They're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing some difficulty. And, and what I see, and the reason this stands out to me, is because what I see the trend in the church is that when people experience difficulty or opposition or hard times, they tend to isolate themselves from other believers. They tend to hide out at home alone or separate themselves, saying, well, when I get through this, then I'll come back to church. When I've, when I've handled my situation, then I'll return to the company of believers and oftentimes, people are going through sinful things and they'll separate themselves from the body of Christ. But that's not what we see here in the book of Acts. And I like that. They went to their own and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They had a group of people that understood what they were going through. No one else is going to understand when you're experiencing opposition, especially opposition because you're a Christian. Whether it's family or work or, you know, you're making some decisions, you're trying to live for Christ, and, you know, people will oppose us when we do that. They'll tell us we're, we're stupid for doing that, or we're silly for thinking that way, and no one else understands the, how we think, or how we live. So, in a sense, we sort of need each other because of that, 
so that there's other people that you can talk to that understand how you're trying to live and the decisions you're making and that can sympathize with you. And that's what Peter and John did. They, they explained, oh, we got arrested, and, th- and then this happened, and then that happened, and, and we really, we stood up for Christ, and, but it was hard, you know, we were scared, but we didn't want them to see it, you know. The Spirit of God was filling us. It was amazing. And they're sharing all that with the believers. And look what happens next, verse 24. What's the, the response as the church is gathered, at least this portion of the church? So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. And then just before I get into the prayer that they prayed, let's just stop there. So they, they report all this to the believers and, and they begin to pray together. And that's so important as well. They don't try to fix Peter and John. They don't try to instruct them right away. And there's a place for instruction. There's a place for discipleship. But their first response, because I understand why people don't come to the church to explain the hard thing they're going through or, or to share the difficulty they've been through, because then we then set about to try to fix them or instruct them. Or, and I have to lay that out when we have prayer meeting. When someone shares a request, the first response we have is, that, well, here's what you should do. And here's what I would do. As if I was you, we're all experts in knowing what other people should do in their hard times. And, and, but it's like at prayer meeting, it's like, okay, we're not here to fix each other. We're here to pray for each other. And let the Lord do the work. Now, again, am I saying there's, there's never a time for counseling? No, I'm not saying that. Absolutely there is. But then, so I understand why people tend to shy away. But here's the thing I want you to know is because we've been sharing about this over the last few weeks, the challenge of, of, you know, of the church in our culture of prioritizing fellowship, sharing in life together, sharing in the life of Christ together, participating in the life of the church together. And just from... from personal experience and, and having been in ministry for, I don't know, the last 15 or 16 years, um, here's one thing I see that happens uh, inevitably. If you don't stand together, then you will fall apart. If you are not a person that is willing to stand together with the body of Christ, then you will inevitably fall apart. And it doesn't happen quickly or all at once. You know, you, you've, you've been coming to church regularly for a time, but then life happens. You know, I, I say, I tell people, you know, well, sometimes our, um, we go through seasons as Christians, don't we? Soccer season, basketball season, swimming season. You know, we go through seasons, and, and I say that kind of jokingly. But, you know, the point is, is that things happen, things come up, and then the habit is broken. And all of a sudden now, we're, we're not in fellowship anymore, and, and, and I, then all of a sudden, life starts to... Um, disintegrate a little bit and you wonder what happened you, you've fallen out of fellowship so i love this passage because i see that peter and john have a place that they have people they have friendships they have other christians that they can share what's going on in their life with and those other christians aren't trying to fix them but they say hey let's pray together about this you know there was a guy that came to prayer meeting uh, last month or month before, young guy from the church had been going through a lot of things and I've known him for a number of years and never been to prayer meeting before and he showed up at prayer meeting and he just shared what was going on in his life. And there was such sympathy and compassion among the group as they just began to, to pray for him and lift up his needs to the Lord. And, and I think I'm not out of turn in saying, you know, his, that was a, a pivotal moment in his life. It changed his life. And things have really been happening for him and it's been awesome to see. And I compare it to maybe the best example is uh, if you see out west the giant redwoods, giant sequoia trees. 
You would think to support a tree hundreds of feet tall, thick enough around uh, some of them at the base that you could drive a, a small car through them if you were to hollow it out. I mean, that, these are humongous trees. You would think to support the height of a tree like that, you would need a tremendously deep root system, wouldn't you? But those of you that know, know that uh, redwood trees have a very shallow root system. So how in the world do they stay standing? Well, the answer is, although their roots are shallow, they're intertwined. So when you look at the root systems of the various redwood trees, the individual, this individual, individual tree is standing here, but next to it's another tree, and the roots are shallow, but they're interwoven and interlocked underground. And then this tree is locked into that tree, and that tree is locked into the next tree. So when something pulls on one tree, it pulls on the root system that's networked throughout all the trees. And so it's very, very hard to topple that tree because it's locked in to the other trees. And that's the key to the, the strength of those trees. And that's why I say, if you will not stand together with other believers, then you will likely fall apart. Having people to pray with, having people to share with, having relationships. I just find that to be extremely valuable in my own life. And I, wouldn't, I couldn't, wouldn't do church without that. You can't. I mean, you're not called to be an individual uh, lone ranger believer. It just doesn't work. So they raise their voice together with one accord and they pray, Lord, you are God. Now, any prayer you start like that has got to be a good prayer. Lord, you are God. And the insinuation is that we are not. <laughs> got to get that straight. <laughs> got to have that in place. Lord, you are God, not just uh, any God. You are the creator God, the God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And sometimes when you start out your prayer time, you've got to encourage yourself through prayer. You've got to encourage yourself by remembering who God is. So remember, Peter and John have been threatened. They were uh, imprisoned. And now the church is praying for them. And they say, God, you made the heavens and the earth. Is anything too hard for you? I mean, is there anything that you can't do? Is the implication. And they move from who God is and, and the power of God, the creative power of God, they move to who by the mouth of your servant David have said, and now they in their prayer are quoting scripture. They quote Psalm 2. David said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So David writing that about a time in his life, but they see it as a, um, a prophecy about Jesus, that just like in David's time when rulers of other nations around Israel were gathered against David and gathered against Israel, that so they are at this time gathered against Jesus. The, and, and he'll go on to clarify that in just a minute. But I want you to, to see that as they're praying, they recognize that persecution is part of being a Christian. That it, it, when they persecute Jesus, when they persecute us, they're persecuting Jesus. We'll see that in Acts chapter 9 when the Apostle Paul gets saved. And he hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, well, who are you? I'm Jesus. Well, I'm not persecuting you. It's just those people that follow you. And you see, Jesus is intimately attached in identity to his church. So to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. So just know this, one of the surest signs that you're a Christian 
is not because you drive a BMW and wear an Armani suit or whatever, not, your, not the prosperity. The surest sign that you're a Christian is whatever happens to Christ happens to you. And that includes suffering, and that includes persecution, that includes some sort of opposition. The Bible says, and I think Jesus said it, beware when all men speak well of you. If everybody loves you, then you don't know who you really are. Because you're a salamander, a chameleon. Everybody, you change to fit whatever anybody wants you to be. And so if everybody's happy about you, everybody speaks nice about you, then you're probably not being true to whoever it is you really are. Especially if you're a Christian. Because if you stand for Christ these days, there are people that just don't like you because they don't like Christ. And that's what they're saying. This is not a surprise to them. They're saying, yep, Scripture's being fulfilled. They were standing against the Lord and His Christ. Verse 27, they clarify this. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, so he is the the Christ that they were standing against, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, you remember them, they were instrumental. Pontius Pilate wanted Jesus to be released, but they compelled him, they constrained him, they twisted his his, uh, political arm to make sure that Jesus would be crucified. And, and with the Gentiles, the Romans, as well as the people of Israel, that all of them were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So interesting, isn't it? They were persecuting, but God had determined that it would be done. They were, it wasn't like God was sitting in heaven going, oh no, this, is, this can't be. Why is this happening? This was not my plan. How can this be? So this was not a surprise to God. This is, he knows the end from the beginning. So they're saying that, look, exa- what happened to Jesus is exactly what you determined to be, to be happening to him. He, that he was crucified, that he was buried. All of that was leading up to his resurrection. Nothing new happening here. And when we get opposition as a church, when you get opposition personally, we are the first to demand our rights. How dare they, they speak evil against us? Who are you kidding I mean, have you not read your Bible? Do you not know to expect that the world is not going to go, oh, you're a Christian? Well, we're sorry. Read the rest of Psalm 2. It is fascinating because the verse right after this basically says that the rulers are saying, let us break the chains and throw off the cords of God. And we live in what many of you know has been called the post-Christian era. In other words, you know, we needed religion, we needed Christianity in America for a certain time, you know, we were sort of foolish and ignorant, but now we have scientific experiments and we have all this knowledge that we didn't have before, and now we sort of realize that, you know, we really don't need God anymore. So we need to cast all of this religious stuff off. We get rid of those commandments. We need to stop talking about religious stuff and, and move past that. That's the world we live in. And it's an exact fulfillment of Psalm 2. That that's exactly what Psalm 2 said. And that's what they're experiencing here in the early church. Verse 29 says, Now, Lord, look on their threats. Now stop there for just a second. I know I'm giving you little chunks. Now what do you expect they're going to pray about their opposition? Lord, look on their threats and get them. Send down that fire from heaven, Lord. And, you, you know, we know that you love us, God, and we know you would never want us to go through anything hard. We know you want us to be happy. It says it somewhere in the Bible. I just can't find it right now. 
And you know I'm joking because the Bible doesn't say that Jesus wants us to be happy. The Bible says he's made everything possible for us to be joyful. And Paul said, rejoice at all times. Again, I say rejoice. And the Bible does clearly say he wants us to, God wants us to be holy. Never says he wants us to be happy. That's a sermon for another time. But what would you pray if you were going, what do you pray when you're going through hard times? I mean, what is it when you get down your hands and knees, we always say, God, release us from our difficulty. Release us from difficult people. Get us, separate us from the people that give us a hard time and, and are opposing us. But that's not how they prayed. We are, we are the pain avoidance experts, aren't we? If it's painful, we don't want to do it. We want the pill. We want it to be easy. We want it to be fast. If my internet connection is taking too long, I get frustrated. And so that's just recognize that that's where we are. And I'm with you guys. I'm not home praying, you know, for, for difficulty in my life. I got enough difficulty in my life. I'm not praying for that stuff. But I have occasionally prayed for patience. And according to James chapter 1, God's answer for that is difficulty. But if you are all, if you make it your life's goal to avoid anything painful, you will remain shallow. I've heard it said, parents, the worst thing you can do is make your kids' lives too easy. Worst thing you can do for your kids is make their lives too easy. And the worst thing God can do for us is make our lives too easy. Then we stay shallow. But persecution, opposition, those things when we're walking with the Lord make for us to strengthen. That's why when people start out the new year, they go to the gym for a couple of weeks and they realize, I'm sweating now. I don't want to sweat. It's hard. We were laughing at the youth retreat about old infomercials. And you remember when they had those um, the commercials for those like the, the vibrating band that you'd stand on this platform and the, the machine would vibrate the band and, and you'd just stand there and it'd shake you all around and you're supposed to you know watch pounds just melt away off your body because you're standing in this thing vibrating you. And people bought that stuff, you know? Why? Because it's easy and it supposedly works. You know, losing weight is easy. Getting in shape is easy. It just takes some pain. And it takes some, you have to have resistance to get stronger. And if you're willing to, you know, I was telling the first service today, confession of sin is hard. Sometimes there's shame connected. Sometimes there's embarrassment connected. And it's a hard thing. It can be painful to say, I was wrong. Those of us that grew up on happy days remember Fonzie. It was so hard for him to say, I was wrong. I have sinned against the Lord. But it opens the door to healing. If you don't ever want to deal with the pain of confession, then you'll never experience the joy of healing. And you'll never experience the, the blessing of repentance. So they don't pray, Lord, take it away, get rid of them. Look what they pray, Lord, and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Lord, give them boldness. It's, it's been said over the years, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that prayed this, said, Lord, don't give us a lighter load, but give us a stronger back. Too many of God's people are praying for a lighter load when we should be praying for a stronger back. And that's the kind of prayer the Lord will answer. Watch what happens. Lord, you know, Lord, I'm going through cancer treatments. 
Lord, make me strong enough and bold enough to share your word with the nurses and the doctors. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. You know, I'm, give me boldness to, to tell people to be a witness to you. He says, grant with all boldness they may speak your word. And how is this going to happen? Verse 30 says, by stretching out your hand to heal. They know where healing comes from. By stretching out, God, your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, because he's alive. So they pray, God, if you give us opportunities, we'll speak the word. If you gather a crowd, there's so many Christians nowadays that are chasing after miracles. There's an arm of the charismatic church that it's one spiritual high to the next spiritual high. We show up at the meeting, and, and there's excitement, and there's, you know, all of this thing working it working the whole thing up and you, you don't hear the word of god being preached oftentimes and it's just one spiritual experience to the next but we see here the root of it was not speaking in tongues not some miracle but we want opportunity to speak your word and lord if you give us that opportunity then we'll do it whether it's by signs or wonders or something that's happening take uh, if you pray for opportunity to preach the word, for boldness, God will give you opportunity. If you're saying, I mean, think about how you pray. Think about the, the selfish things we pray for or the avoidance things we pray for. Instead of praying, God, do, do this in my life. Give me this in my life. You know, I want to serve you with more zeal. I want to serve you with more abandon, more surrendered. I just don't hear God's people praying that. Now, maybe you are in, the, in your prayer closet. But, so the question is, do you think God's going to answer this prayer? Watch what happens. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. See, oftentimes we try to, when, when God is not working, the church will often try to produce the effects of God in the flesh. Well, God's not working, but we don't want people to know God's not working. So let's stir it up and drum it up and shake it up. And I've heard pastors talk about, we know we've got to shake things up at the church. We've got, we got to do something edgy or something new. And the church right now, to shake things up, is trying to be more cultural. And we're using secular songs for worship because we're just trying to shake things up. Hey, when the Lord is at work, He'll shake things up. You don't have to make it up or fake it up. He'll shake it up. And if it ain't happening, then we got to pray and ask why it's not happening. Why, Lord, why are you not working in our midst? What, is there any, are we quenching your spirit? Is there anything we're doing, Lord, to keep you from, from working in that marvelous way we've seen you work in the past? We know you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. But, you know, again, there's, there's uh, many times opportunities in places where if the Lord's not working, if he's not leading the church, then well, we have to turn to human effort and human means. And if we, have to, if we have to obtain it, then we have to maintain it. And it gets really, really tiring to reproduce the genuine work of God in the flesh. And I don't want to have any parts of that. I'll keep preaching the word and waiting for the Lord to do his work. And I love that. So the place where they were together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Did God answer their prayer? Now, interesting, did they pray, Lord, fill us with your spirit? Now, notice Acts chapter 2, verse 4. They were all together, day of Pentecost, uh, and they were all filled with the spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter preaching, it says, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. And now again, we see the believers. 
filled with the Holy Spirit. So is the filling with the Holy Spirit a one-time thing? Say no. Somebody tell me you've read in Ephesians where Paul says, keep being continually filled with the Spirit. Well, how do I do that? Keep praying for things that only the Spirit of God can do. That's how you continually... And now we pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with praying that. They didn't pray that. They prayed, Lord, give us boldness. And they said, okay, well, the only way I can do it is by filling you with, your, with the Spirit. I've been reading uh, a book that my wife has been talking about a lot lately. She's been sharing it with some of the, the women in the church. It's a Warren Wearsby book called On Being a Servant of God. And I was just reading that at the, at the youth retreat. And I came across this line that I just thought was so simple but so profound, he said, if you can explain it, it's not God doing it. And I thought, oh, I got to think about that one. If you can explain it, then it's not God doing it. And I thought, wow, that is awesome. That is awesome. So here's the thing, folks. Pray for things in your life that only the Spirit of God can produce. And then God will fill you with his Spirit to answer that prayer when you pray those things from your heart. What is the Spirit of God doing in your life? He said, I'll pour out my spirit on you and you'll receive boldness to be my witnesses. So if you pray, Lord, I want to be a witness to you every day. I want to wake up in the morning and today look for opportunities, how I can tell people about you, how I can live for you. Then God says, well, the only way I can give that to you is by filling you with the spirit. They're filled with the spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Prayer answered. Verse 32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. That word common is koinos, where we get koinonia, which means uh, communion or fellowship. So we get the, a sense of the character of the early church. Uh, they were all together. There was one heart, one soul. They were a community. They were a genuine community. Now, they weren't a commune. They were a community. This was not communism. In other words, there was no demand. The apostles weren't saying, okay, everybody sell everything. We're going to put it all together and live communally. That's not what was being said here. There's no demand or regulation that they do this. They were just moved. The power of the Holy Spirit is not just that they would be witnesses verbally, but how does the Bible say people are going to know we're Jesus' disciples? Not by the the bumper stickers we have and the t-shirts we wear, but by the love we have, the care, the caring kindness of love that we have toward one another. A spirit-filled church is a generous church where the people really care about each other. It has been the plague of my life since I got saved, and I say that tongue-in-cheek. The plague of my life is the Spirit of God fills me, fills you, and when you see a need... You just can't ignore it. Because the Spirit of God, because God can't ignore it. And that's why John wrote, how in the world do you see your brother in need, those of you that have resources, and you see that need, how do you shut up your heart from them? And a Spirit-filled believer just can't do it. And it was so extreme in their day that they were just selling possessions, selling land, selling houses, and saying, hey, if anybody needs anything, you know, I, I, this could go, I, I know, you know, I'm getting close to retirement age, I could use it for that, or you know, the kids are in college, I could use it for that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. But the point is, it was, it was voluntary. 
It wasn't mandated by the leadership. They're not, look, listen, in the early church, they're not having arguments about tithing. They're not arguing about, is it 10% of my gross? Is it 10% of my net? I mean, which really is it? And what about my tax return? What about money I make, you know, here? They're not, none of those arguments. They're just so, they're moved by need to give. And the, verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. That's the kind of church that you want to be part of where there's just this great grace. What does that mean? What does it look? I don't know, but you know it when you've got it. Just this great giftedness from God. God was blessing them tremendously. Great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. They they knew what Deuteronomy 15 said, open your hand wide to the poor and and give them sufficient for their need. The poor were always going to have. So there was none among them that lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they, the apostles, distributed to each one as anyone had need. And and I want to say to Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna, I just commend you guys as a church. Some of you are aware of this, some of you aren't, that, you know, we we don't pass an offering plate, but we we have the boxes in the back and you put money in there and and you do it faithfully. And we're able to take 15% of what you guys give to the Lord in the offering box of what your hard-earned money. You say, I'm going to give some of this to the Lord and you put it in there. And we as a church, the church leadership takes 15% and that supports not just missions and missionaries, but we do a ton of benevolence right here in our community and right here in the church. You guys have helped people not get their electricity cut off, not get their water cut off. You've helped them stay in their house until they can get their rent money together. We've helped with mortgages. I mean, you guys through that and through trusting the church leadership, and I see a lot of trust here. They weren't saying, well, we want to know where the, what you guys are doing with this. They're not saying, well, we, we want to have a say in where the money goes. They were just saying, apostles, we just trust you guys. You know the needs better than we do. You distribute it however the needs are and, and however they need to be, however you see fit. And they just laid it there. I remember hearing a story of a woman is at a, a church that a, a pastor, a friend of mine, was pastoring. And this woman had seen uh, a mission work that was happening in Africa, just moved, moved by what she saw. She was an older woman and uh, said, you know what? I really feel like God is telling me to sell my house and give the money to this mission organization. And the pastor was like, whoa, 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 just, you better think about that. I mean, where are you going to live? What's going to happen? You know, what, you know, you really better think that through. I'm not sure you want to do that. And so she, she did it. But like a week before she did it, and she'd put the house on the market waiting for it to sell, about a week before she did it, her son and daughter-in-law called her from a different state. They never, they didn't know what she had talked about. They didn't know what she was planning to do, didn't know what she was doing. And they said, you know what, uh, Mom? Uh, we're just feeling like uh, the Lord has been moving in our hearts to invite you to come live with us. We just want you to move out here. I think it was Texas. We just move out here to Texas with us and want you to live with us. And, and we just feel like, you know, that's what God is leading us to do. And so when the pastor heard about that, he said, yeah, I'm not even sure I'm saved. <laughs> I live. Am I, really, am I a Christian or not? I mean, here's this woman wanting to do this thing and he's like discouraging her from doing it. But she had that heart of generosity and trust in the Lord 
to do such a thing. Now, again, there's no demand to do that, but it was how God was working in her heart. And again, I commend this church because you guys have been amazingly generous. And I pray that the more God fills us with his spirit, because who's the most generous giver ever? It's God. He has given us everything, all things freely to, to enjoy. He gave this beautiful garden to Adam and Eve and said, everything in there is for you to enjoy except for one. We won't talk about that right now. I give you so much to enjoy. And then he gave his only son. He became poor so we could become rich. That's the life of this early church. Everybody said, well, I want I to have the... the I want to have church like it was in the early church. But then you have to do what the early church did. Verse 36 says, here's an example of it. And Joses, who also was named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. We'll meet him a lot more later on. A Levite of the country of Cyprus having land, and Levites weren't supposed to have land, but he did. He sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's a, for instance, Barnabas, just known uh, for his generosity. And no doubt, people were aware of what was happening. They would get together, they'd worship, and then uh, they'd have a time when people would just come up and say, you know, I just feel like God is calling me to, I sold my house and just want to make this donation. And people would, you know, be, be excited and cool stuff. Money would be distributed. And word is spreading that this is happening. Well, chapter 5, verse 1, we meet an interesting couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And I will warn you ahead of time that God had been adding to the church a lot, but in chapter 5, God subtracts from the church. We don't like to talk about that. Uh, it's it's uh, God's church discipline program, and that's why very many pastors will skip Acts 5, at least this part of it, because it's not the most comfortable thing to talk about, but it is great and necessary to talk about, because we need to see what's going on. So a certain man named Ananias, his name, by the way, means God is merciful, with his wife, Sapphira, whose name means beautiful. And many have said that there were never two in the Bible who least lived up to their names. They sold a possession. Don't know what it is, but they sold it. Verse 2, and he, Ananias, kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the, the church is gathered, they have the worship time, and then there's a, the offering plate gets passed, and Ananias brings this money from the things they've sold. I mean, what in the world could possibly be wrong with that? I mean, wouldn't we be commending them for that? I mean, wouldn't we say, hey, praise the Lord, they're probably doing more than most other people did. So what was the problem? Because look what happens next. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? He didn't say, why has the Spirit filled your heart? He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? I mean, what? so they sell something, they give 50% to the church and 50% they keep. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing's wrong with that if that's what you say you're going to do. The problem with Ananias and Sapphira is found in the word kept back. And it's the word that can be translated also to embezzle or to withdraw for your own use. In Titus chapter 2, it's translated pilfering and it speaks of an employee who is skimming off the top and that if you're a Christian, don't do that. In Joshua chapter 7, in the Old Testament, what's called the Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Old Testament written in Hebrew, 
then translated into Greek, New Testament written in, and tra- and written in Greek. The same word here in the New Testament in Greek is found in Joshua chapter 7, speaking of Achan. Remember the story of Achan? How they conquered Jericho and, and God said, don't partake of any of the accursed things, the things that were used for idol worship, and all the silver and the gold, bring that all into the temple of God. Well, Achan, when he saw his, as they say, his heart was aching. When he saw all that gold and all that silver, and he took for himself a beautiful Babylonian garment. I mean, it was right out of the, you know, some beautiful fancy store, uh, Saks Fifth Avenue kind of thing. He saw, he said, oh, I got to have that for myself. And then he saw the silver and the gold. He said, well, you know, God has a lot. I mean, doesn't he own the cattle on a thousand hills? Well, what could he possibly need with, he won't miss this. And they kept it for themselves. And they buried it. And they buried it in their tent. And then when they went to battle again, they lost. They should have conquered this little measly city called Ai and should have won easily, but they didn't. They got, they got whooped. And they were all scratching their head going, what's wrong? And God told Joshua, you know, there's, there's sin in the camp. And they began to figure out, finally, the, the, it came down to Achan. And he had kept back what belonged to God he had kept back for himself. So the issue here isn't not that they just gave 50%. The issue here is they pretended that they were giving everything when they were only giving part. They misrepresented themselves before the people and before God. It's hypocrisy. That's the issue. Now, it's much easier to change the outside than it is to change the inside. It's much easier to change the way we appear to people than to actually be different. And you see people maybe in the church and you see what they're doing and, you know, people are recognizing it. And sometimes people recognize our service, don't they? They see you serving, they see you do something and it's recognized. Not that we seek for that, but it happens. And then so you go, well, I want to get the recognition they had. So instead of actually doing what they did, you just sort of fake it like you're doing what they did. You pretend, you tell people you're doing it but you don't really doing it. It's living a double life. And sometimes when you do- live a double life, you forget who you really are. I, um, I printed this out because I, I want to make note of this and then we'll, we'll finish in a few minutes here. Again, the challenge is, is that we live in a culture that has certain behaviors. And unless we yield ourselves to God, those behaviors then become part of the church. And Ananias and Sapphira, they brought this lying, uh, hip- hypocritical behavior and they spiritualized. They brought it into the church to try to misrepresent themselves to others uh, so that other, they wanted to control what people thought of them. Reputation is what people think of you. Character is who you really are. They wanted the reputation without the character because character is costly. But you can fool people. This is an article I printed out called Fibbing on Facebook Can Trick Your Memory. To judge by their posts on Facebook, they're having the time of their lives. But almost two-thirds of social media users lie to airbrush reality and make their lives seem more interesting than they are, according to a revealing new survey. I don't think we needed a survey to tell us that. The findings have led psychologists to warn that some may succumb to digital amnesia, believing their own versions of events and forgetting what really happened. By lying on sites such as Facebook and Twitter, users may rewrite their memories. Nearly half of respondents claim to feel paranoia, sadness, and shame as a result of not being able to live up to their online image. So you create an image of yourself that you can't live up to. 
And so this is where legalism comes in. This is where hypocrisy comes in. It ha- tell me, you know this happens in the church. It does. And this passage should set us free from that. The whole point is, just be who you are. If you're a jerk, say, I'm a jerk. I need the Lord. You know, if, if you're not there yet, say I'm not there yet. Because no, you're in good company. It's so painfully tiring to try to keep up an image that isn't really who you are. You want God to be doing the work. It's just like building some grand. If you build it, you've got to maintain it. And that involves a reputation too. But if God is building your character from the inside, then, there's not, then he maintains it. It's him doing it. Imagine Ananias and Sapphira on their Facebook page. Yep, just sold something and gave all to the church. And everybody else goes, oh man, they did that. They're so spiritual. Look what they're doing. It's a lie. Let me read on. The new survey commissioned by social networking site Pencourage found that 68% embellish, exaggerate, or outright lie when documenting events on social media. Does that surprise anyone in here? It shouldn't. That's what they were doing. They were embellishing what they'd given. One in ten admit their subsequent recollections of events they wrote about uh, have already been distorted. A previous survey showed that the most common issues people lied about were what they were doing at the time, such as pretending they were out when they were really at home, alone. They lie about their relationships, holidays, and success of their careers. Reasons for this, why do people lie, include fear of appearing boring and jealousy of others' more exciting posts. Imagine, so what were the motives behind Ananias and Sapphira? We were afraid that we were going to look greedy. Well, you are. That's why you look greedy, because you are. And if that's an issue, then pray. God, heal my greedy heart. Break me. That's what Ananias and Sapphira should have done. They should have said, you know, we really wanted to give everything, but we started adding things up and realized the kids need this, and that that's coming up. And we, you know, So we really, we're only going to give half. Praise the Lord. You know, we celebrate with you. Again, I hope you see the issue of their sin because God's remedy is a little disturbing. (laughs) Nothing's, nothing, everything before the Lord is naked and open. You can hide it from us. You can lie to us, but you can't, and you can even lie to yourself, but you cannot lie to God. So my encouragement is just be who you are Be honest about who you are and be letting the Lord change your life. Watch what happens next and then we'll close. He says to them, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Whenever you're tempted to embellish, whenever you're tempted to lie, it is Satan filling your heart, not the Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit. Don't do that. And kept back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? You guys could have done anything you want. You didn't have to give it. You didn't have to. You made that decision. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, just a quick note. They had lied to, in in the first, uh, let's see, in verse 3, what does it say? They lied to the Holy Spirit. And now, in verse 4, they lied to God. Well, which is it? It's both and. It's a great verse if you're struggling to understand the Trinity, Uh, or at least to defend the Trinity, here's a clear example where the Holy Spirit is God, called God in the Bible. 
Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Let me tell you, uh, issues with identity, issues with hypocrisy, they are killers. And God, this is a word that speaks of, they didn't just kind of die. This was a, the idea here is this, the wording here is used for judgment. God pronounced judgment on them. And you begin to think, whoa, now wait a second, Steve, I'm adding this up. And uh, are people going to start dying like right here now that you're preaching this? Certainly they weren't the only sinners in the church at that time, were they? No. Somebody say no, they weren't the only sinners in the church at that time. But God chose to make of them an example and had every right to do so. Uh, let me use this example. If we were in a, in a caravan of 10 cars driving through Palmyra, you know, the place where the state police hang out right there, that 35 mile an hour speed limit. And, and they're smart. They're not dummies. They know us. They know we like to go faster than we need to there. So we're in a caravan of 10 cars, one state trooper, nine of us go by going 50. And then, but the last car, you know, uh, is Pastor Steve. I'll just use myself. I was going to use Joyce and Harold, but I'll leave you guys off the hook. My last car is Pastor Steve, and I'm just trying to keep up with Joyce. Joyce is leading, and she's going 50. I'm just trying to keep up. That's it. How about that? <laughs> we'll go with that. So they can't pull all 10 of us over, so he just pulls out behind me, turns on the light, pulls me over. Oh, Pastor Steve, how are you doing today? Okay. You know why I pulled you over? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I was just keeping up with Joyce. It's Joyce, she's the one you want. No, yes, I, I was speeding. Well, I'm going to have to write you a ticket. I said, well, wait a second, you can't write me a ticket. Why not? Because there were 10 of us and you only pulled me. That's not fair. Well, wait a second, Steve, were, were you speeding? Well, yeah, I was speeding. So tell me why it's not fair to write you a ticket. Well, it is fair. I was speeding. I got caught. The others got mercy. <laughs> I'm sending their license plate numbers in for consideration. <laughs> They received mercy, and I got judgment. Ananias and Sapphira rightfully and truly on that day received judgment from the Lord as an example to the church of the holiness of God, that we do not play games with God. Our church is, in this culture is great at sending the message of love. We are great at sending the message of grace, but we have fallen down in the area of sending the message of God's holiness. He's our buddy. He's our pal. He doesn't seem to care about my sin because he loves me so darn much. But he's just and he is holy. So watch what happens. Oh, I got to finish up here. Ananias, hearing the words, fell down. When he found out, he was found out. He was undone, judged, and died. And so look at the result. We had great power, great grace. And in verse 5, Great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Can you say, I'll bet it did. Man, you can't get away with nothing around here. Great fear came upon all those who heard the things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter answered her, uh, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. An opportunity to tell the truth, an opportunity for confession, and she lied through her teeth. Says, yes, that's what we sold it for. And Peter said to her, I, I just feel the frustration in his pastor's heart. How is it that you have agreed together to test 
the Spirit of the Lord. You're in cahoots to go as far as you can with God, to press Him, test Him. Well, how far can I go? Look, you may be involved in sin right now. You may be involved in hypocrisy right now. And you think that, that God's patience is His permissiveness. And you think you're getting away with it. Don't mistake God's patience for His permissiveness. When the time comes and confession is an opportunity, take the, chance, take the opportunity to confess Otherwise, it could be a deadly experience for you. And even if not outwardly, inwardly. The lie you tell is the cancer you have to live with. And the life that you somehow have to try to maintain. How is it you've agreed together? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Not to say that they weren't saved. We don't know. You know, just because this happened doesn't mean they weren't believers. Doesn't mean that they didn't go to be with the Lord. It just means that at that time, God chose to judge their sin. And, and he had every right to do so. So we don't know. Doesn't, that's not the issue here. Not the commentary that we uh, are looking for here. Verse 11 says, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. And as they're coming, I'm just going to remind you that Paul says to us, putting away lying, speak truth to one another. Putting away the mask of pretending that you pray more than you do, of pretending that you give more than you do, of pretending that you read more than you do. Well, yesterday in my morning devotional that I have at 4.30, you know, you do it, you get up at 4.30 once because you couldn't sleep and you read your Bible and all of a sudden you're a regular 4.30 morning devotional person. Or at least that's what you want us to believe. But just say, you know, just be who you are, church. Can I plead with you? You want to see the power of the Spirit? You want to see th these things happening in our midst? Then we've got to put away false pretenses. And if you're living in hypocrisy or sin right now, you're quenching the Spirit. It affects not just you, but everybody around you. You don't just lie to yourself. You lie to all of us and you lie to God. So I'm not going to ask you to come. I'm not going to try to embarrass you and have you come up. But the prayer room is open. So as people filter out, just stay back. You don't have to live like that anymore. God invites you just as you are. It's Him that begins the work in you. And it's Him that will, begin, that will take it to completion. And all you have to do is surrender yourself. Say, God, take my sinful life. Take my lying. Take my cheating. Take my wandering eyes. Lord, whatever it is. Change me. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Amen? Amen. The prayer room will be open afterwards. Please come and, and join us in prayer afterwards. Lord, just pray that you'd move in our hearts, Lord, that we take the message from this that you want us to get and uh, take it to heart. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.